for the next four Sundays, essentially what we're going to do is I and a couple other people are going to share some stories from their past summers, um, not all uh, as kids, but just a situation um, in past summers, uh, you know, growing up or as an adult, that something happened that you learned something and that you wanted to grow from it and something that probably we can all learn uh, something from as well. Um, so today we're starting with me, and uh, today's story starts um, before I was a pastor. Um, before I was a pastor, I worked at Boeing as a project manager. So it was before that, and before that I worked as a, um IT help desk technician. Some of you didn't know that. Before that, I was a lifeguard. Yes. Wow. <laughs> They're clapping in the room. That's right. Yes, I, I saved lives. And it's honestly still amazing to me that uh, people would trust uh, teenagers um, to save their children's lives for seven seventy-five an hour. Amazing. But it happens, and they do, and people still survive for the most part. So a little introduction to lifeguarding. There's some keys to lifeguarding. There's really two key responsibilities for a lifeguard, two key responsibilities. The first one is to save lives, and the second one is to look good while doing it. The second one is not talked about. It is an unspoken responsibility. But if you ever go to a pool, let's be fair, and you ever watch the lifeguards, especially now as an adult, because it's kind of a little bit more funny as an adult watching teenagers do it, you know, and they sit up there, you know, and, and they have to, you get this, they have to sit a certain way, you know, get like a little lean back, and then they have to position themselves in a way that maximizes tanning while maximizing cool, right? And, and you, have to have your, um, you have to have your whistle somewhere on your body, but in a cool way. You know, you can spin the whistle, maybe it's on your wrist, maybe it's around your neck, but it can't be there too long because, again, otherwise that creates tan lines in w- weird m- ways. And, and you don't want that at all. Um, you got to have nice shades. That's a key component to the experience as well. Um, you got to have nice hair. Even though you're outdoors in sweltering heat, jumping in the water, all that stuff, your hair has to look nice as well. Um, hopefully I didn't mess that up. Otherwise, like in the camera, it just looks weird the whole time. Anyways, I'm sorry if I did. Uh, but those are some of, uh, of lifeguard's um, responsibilities. And it's not really like our fault. Let's be fair. It's not teenagers' fault that they perceive lifeguards to be super cool or have to have a cool persona. I mean, really, it is a, a stereotype that's kind of been thrust upon uh, lifeguards often because of TV and TV shows, because in TV and TV shows, you got to look cool, you got to look dramatic, you know, anytime there's a lifeguard scene in the movies, they're always cool, good looking, and saving the day for the most part, right? I mean, and as a kid, that's like everything. Now, I haven't seen Baywatch myself, but that was like the pinnacle of what lifeguarding was supposed to be. And so if you came today to church hoping to see Baywatch in church, it is your lucky day. Because I wanted to give you an example of how we kind of dramatize certain roles and therefore creates a stereotype. And so um, I'm going to show you two clips of David David Hasselhoff, um, you know, saving the day. And here's what I want you to watch while, while you watch these clips. I want you to watch when they slow down the footage. And it's always as he jumps into the water, which makes jumping into the water, and he doesn't even have that good a form. Like, you see it, he's kind of like this. It makes it look way better, okay? So here, here he is, 
He's going to save the day. Here's the clip, okay? Here he goes out running. He's going to save the day. Someone's drowning. Oh, no. Slowing it down right there. Okay, oh, no, another kid. He's caught in the rocks. What are we going to do? Oh, no. I hope David Hasselhoff is there to save the day. Oh, my gosh, he's drowning. That's not good at all. Here he comes. And slow down. Jumps in. And watch how slow he swims. Oh, yeah. Arm. I mean, he's barely going to make it there at this rate, right? But it's just so cool. And so we have this idea that, that that's what it's supposed to be about. So anyways, and, and I will say, we were trained well, okay? It wasn't all about the cool. Like, they made sure we knew what we were doing. And one of the things um, that they did uh, to make sure we were kind of on our game is they would do uh, unannounced drills. And maybe this was universal among pools. I don't know. But in our, um, at our pool, at Expo Pool in Fort Dodge, Iowa, no longer exists. They buried it. And, <laughs> and uh, what they would do is they would take um, one of the kids that was at the pool like every day because literally some parents would just have us watch their kids for them. So now you're paying another teenager to watch your kids all summer. But beside the point, they would be there and they would give them this red jersey, basketball jersey, and they'd put them on it and then they'd have secretly so none of the lifeguards could see and when they did this drill, uh, all the, you know, boss and people in charge were there to watch it. And they, you know, had their clipboards and timer and all that stuff to make sure it went well. So they put this on a, a kid and then they'd send the kid out uh, and, and they'd tell him, here's what I want you to do. And, um, and so then they were supposed to jump in the pool, pretend that they had dove in and hit the bottom and had a neck or spine injury, and then just float there. Okay? And hope... Do the lifeguards see it fast enough and rescue the child, okay? Enter me. One day, I was in the diving well, okay, on the uh, little diving board, and then somebody else is over on the bigger diving board, and I'm up on one of those pedestals, so I'm like, you know, five and a half feet off the ground or something, in my chair, looking good, I think. I don't know. It's teenage years, you know. I probably had braces. I don't know. Anyways, and so, um, and, and so I was watching the situation, and I heard a splash below me, which is strange because the only splash you should be hearing is off the diving board. And so I peered down over my little chair over the bench that I'm standing on, and there, sure enough, is a child with a red jersey on floating face down. And so I snap into action. I hit the bell under my seat, which turns on the bells that, you know, ring really, really loud. I blow my whistle three times. I grab the little buoy thingy, and I prepare for the most miraculous jump of my life. As I, and this was the part where if the cameras were on it, you know, you had to slow it down, because, you know, there goes Taylor off into the water to save the day, scissor kick to the top, you know, grab the child. I still remember even how to do it. You got to grab them here, and then you roll them onto their back, and then you keep moving, so that way their spine stays straighter in the water, and then we were actually decently well-trained, and then the other lifeguards would pull the lane line so you can move to shallower water, get them on the backboard, secure them, make sure they're breathing while you're doing this, so I'm communicating. We get them out of the water. Amazing. Everybody goes on break for 15 minutes to kind of reset, and I'm just feeling so good. Like, I saved her. Like, she really wasn't dying, but I, I saved her, okay? And so that's how I was um, feeling at the moment, and uh, so it felt good. It really did feel good. And so then the um, pool manager, or some, someone in charge came over and, and was like, hey, how'd you think that went? And I thought to myself, like, the best ever, but I said, I thought that went well. I thought that went well. And they said, um, What'd you do wrong? And this is the part of the story where things you kind of like think to yourself, 
if they're asking me that, probably something did go wrong, and now you don't start, you don't feel as good about yourself as you were feeling. And I, I said, I honestly, I don't know. I felt like it, I felt like it went really, really good. And they said, but you jumped in the water. I said, well, how else are you going to get in the water, you know? Did you see the Baywatch clip? Like, that's how they get in the water. And uh, they said, yeah, but, but um, and this wasn't meaning offense, but, you know, you make a splash, okay? And, and I said, well, yeah, I make a splash. And, and she said, well, what do you think that does to their spinal cord? Like, if you've ever been in the pool and someone does a cannonball or jumps in next to you, it makes a splash, right? And it gets all in your face and kind of throws you back. What do you think that would do to her spinal cord while she was floating there? And, I, and at this point, I'm just like, you know, crushed. I just feel terrible. Like, I, I just didn't even think about that. I didn't think about how me jumping in, saving the day, could possibly in any way end poorly for the entire situation. I was, I was crushed. Because, and let's be fair, if she really was that injured, I could have exacerbated an injury that would not be fixable. There was no take-backs. There was no, I'm going to, you know, you could learn from this moment, but there wasn't going to be a uh, different outcome for the injured person. In fact, I, I could have made it worse. I could have even, you know, who knows, paralyzed that individual for life. Why? Because I jumped in near a drowning victim. And the splash of my actions, the wave, the outcome of my actions, were that they could have gotten worse. And I felt terrible. And I would never forget the lesson that I feel like I took, to wet, took away in that moment um, because I was just so low. And, and I wanted to learn from it. I wanted to get better. And so I was analyzing, um, you know, kind of, hey, why, why did I do this? What, what kind of went wrong here? Because I realized for some of you, you're probably thinking, well that, well, that was an honest mistake. Like, who would have thought of that? And in all fairness, probably if anybody else was in that position, they may have done the very same thing. But what I realized is I had in my mind a version of how this day would go the day I would save someone. And I'm guessing most lifeguards probably do too. The day that someone needs their help and they get to literally say that they saved a life of a drowning person. But the problem was, and this is, I think, our collective problem is, I didn't think past the TV version of lifeguarding. The lifeguard look. I didn't think beyond that point. Because I think, and I think this is true about you all as well, I think... We have a tendency to only think to the point that requires the least from us and gives us the most. And in that situation, the least for me was to be able to jump off and land in the water. That, that required the least and brought me the most. I mean, it looked the coolest, and I got to do it. We think that way. We don't climb off the chair. We don't just slip into the water. That's not cool. That's more work. Jumping off, though, that's cool. That's what brings the most cool factor to the situations, to, to that particular situation. We have this tendency to only want to look at the picture so far as it makes us look cool or look good or where we feel good. We only ask questions of ourselves. We're only critical of ourselves to the point at which we feel most comfortable, that, that makes us feel like we're the hero, the good guy in the situation. We don't want to think beyond the decision financially, so long as it saves us money, that we're good. You know, we don't think about maybe the consequences for other people. 
We, we might get in a fight to make our point. Because the only thing we can think about is that we have to make our point. And then we're not going to work beyond that. We made our point. We're good. I don't want to work beyond that. I don't want to think about what they feel. I don't want to process what they feel. I just want to go to the point where I have to do the least amount of work and I feel the best about it. And I didn't think beyond that point, And I don't think a lot of us honestly think about that point or beyond that point. A few years ago, uh, we had somebody come over when we were about to, I, don't, I can't remember it. I think it was before we had Elia, our first daughter, and um, we had somebody over to install a, a ceiling fan um, because there wasn't a ceiling fan in there. And it required some, some carpentry work because the ceiling was vaulted, and so it came to a point, so they had to like install a, a strip of plywood and make it look like the ceiling. So it wasn't maybe the easiest of jobs, but you know, we had communicated very clearly what we wanted, and it just was a struggle to get this job done and get it done right and get it looking good. Like, why in the world would you want to put this thing in if it's just going to look horrendous or not look like the rest of the ceiling? And it's just distracting, and, and people are going to walk into that room. If you ever go to sell the house, they're going to be like, what did you do there? Like, why did you mess that up? And, and it, was, it was hard to work with this particular contractor, and um, we finally, finally got to the point that it was good enough, and I'm just like, you know what? We're just going to walk. We're just done. It's good. A few months later um, or so, uh, I was in there with Elia. Elia was now born. And, of course, we're in there at this time. The ceiling fan literally falls off the, off the ceiling and is now dangling. The only thing that kept it from falling, uh, I can't remember if it was on us or it would have been close to us, but regardless, glass shattering, you don't want it to happen, uh, was the banana plugs holding the three electric cables together to the ceiling fan. And I thought to myself, I just thought, I just, I thought to myself how I felt when, when they were installing this thing, that they just felt, felt so rushed, that they didn't really care about the quality. Because let's be honest, to care about the quality would have required more than the least, right? They just wanted the money. They got the money and they wanted to do the least amount of work for it. They didn't think about the fact that, wow, one day this new family, this family could be there with their newborn infant in the room and the ceiling fan could fall on them. They didn't want to think to that point. They didn't want to think about the safety component. And so often, we don't want to think about it either. It's, it's honestly, it's what we call selfish. And this is, and, and this is really hard. Identifying selfishness there's, there's, a, there's a part of it that I think is easy, but then to take it to the next level, to think of beyond the, the norms of this world, that's hard. Because we rarely, we rarely want to, we rarely challenge ourselves to think beyond ourselves. We rarely, rarely want to force ourselves to think beyond ourselves and our needs, because life is busy, right? I mean, you guys got stuff going on. You got things going on this week. You don't want to go home and have to think about how your decisions maybe affect others. It's hard enough to get your own life in order. It's hard enough to get your kids' life in order. And then you have to go around thinking about, hey, how could this impact others? And how could my actions impact others? That's a lot. And so we don't want to think about it. We just want to buy things so it makes us feel good. But we don't want to think about the financial implications of buying those things. Or the fact that, that we feel good for a week, maybe two, and then after that we're like, eh, this is not that new. The, the newness has worn off, and it's not actually that great anymore. It's not actually that exciting anymore. 
We think to ourselves, well, mom, dad, I was home at curfew, right? And so I did the least amount of work. I got the most out of it. I got to spend time with my friends. I got home, so mom and dad were happy. But the part we don't want to talk about is how many drinks we had before we got in the car and drove home. And sure, you've done it a million times, drinking and driving, but not everybody, not, not for everybody does it work out that well. And for a lot of cases, I mean, uh, I, I did a ride-along with a police officer uh, here in Iowa City, and, you know, this guy is just driving home, and he's like, my house is right there. And I'm like, yeah, your house is right there, but so is that van that you ran right into the front of as he was leaving work for the night and probably totaled both of the vehicles. Those are the obvious things, but it's hard to challenge ourselves to think beyond that. It's hard to think about the fact that when we argue with our spouse, um, and, and not that you can't argue, but there is an unhealthy version of arguing. And that, that arguing, our kids hear. And we don't want to think about the fact that that's probably how our kids are then going to treat their spouse. Because, let's be fair, that's the only adult, marital, or deeply relational um, example that they have. And so that's likely how they will model it in their relationships as well. I'm not saying don't fight in front of your kids because it's good to see healthy parents fight and argue and disagree in a healthy way and come to reconciliation together. But if it's unhealthy, just know your kids are watching. But we don't want to think about that because that means we have to change. We don't want to change. We just want to get our point across. We don't want to think beyond the picture of ourselves that makes us feel good, look good, saves us a buck, fits into the version of life that we want for ourselves. There's a man named Peter, Peter, a man named Peter, and uh, Peter had a very similar experience. He had a lot, actually, of these experiences, but one in particular. Um, he, overall, he was a really great guy. Uh, the one detriment that Peter had is he was the kind of guy who led uh, heart and emotions first. He didn't really think, so he's a great example of not processing and thinking through our actions. He just felt it, did it, and we'd figure it out later. That was the kind of leader he was. And that's great. There are some strengths to that, but there's also some drawbacks to that. And Peter um, was uh, following a guy named Jesus, and he'd followed him for quite some time at this point in, in the story goes. The story goes. And Peter was pretty amazed by this man, Jesus. Uh, Jesus had done some amazing acts and miracles, and his teaching was top-notch. And, he, and Peter saw as Jesus' crowds grew and grew and grew and grew, and Peter was like, I got in on the ground floor of this. I was there right at the very beginning, and now this whole Jesus thing is a huge thing, and I'm really excited about this. Um, and uh, he was um, uh, really excited because he thought that Jesus was the Messiah, or the Christ, or the chosen one of God that was going to come to usher in a brand new kingdom. In fact, Jesus talked about this kingdom, and Jesus was going to bring this new kingdom in uh, and, and take over. He was going to be the, the new king of Israel, and Peter was really excited about that because uh, Israel was a Roman-occupied nation at the time and ran by a lot of uh, religious, um, corrupt religious people. And so Jesus, uh, Peter fully expected Jesus one day to kind of like march into the capital, into Jerusalem one day and take over. And, and Peter would be right there and he was going to push back Rome and Peter would watch Jesus get rid of Rome and, and it would be awesome. And, and Jesus had invited Peter to follow him. And so Peter was feeling really good about this and, and that he was going to be able to be a part of this whole movement. 
And so he was, you know, feeling good. He had this imagination of what was going to happen. He was, you know, thinking, I'm going to be able to get by with doing the least, and, and Jesus and his other followers probably do the most, and, and I was going to end up on top at the end. That's kind of his perception. And, uh, and then, so, and, Jesus, and uh, Peter, just in a few verses before we get to the section there, he, you know, he said, you are the Messiah, and, and Jesus is like, you're right, Peter, and, and I'm on that rock, I'm going to build my church, all that kind of stuff. That's what, that's what they just got done talking about, okay? Then... Jesus transitioned to a new topic he was trying to teach his disciples. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter um, 16. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. So he kept repeating this message. Hey, disciples, I'm letting you know I'm going to Jerusalem. Which they're like, we kind of knew that, Jesus, because if you're going to take over, if you're going to usher in a new kingdom, you got to go to Jerusalem. That's where it's got to happen, so you got to do that. And they were really excited about that. They, they imagined him taking over, and it was going to be great. He was going to take the fight to the temple and overturn some tables and get back in charge. And it was, Jesus was going to be the new king, God's kingdom come, and, 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 and Peter would be right there for the whole thing, okay? And then Jesus goes on. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and, and this is a really big and, big, huge and, and when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders. And his disciples are like, what, well, time out, suffer what? No, you're taking over, Jesus. You're going to suffer? He said, yeah, I'm going to suffer. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, by the hands of, of, of the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. They didn't really hear the raised to life things. They were just like, what? You're going to be killed? And Jesus would teach this over and over again, because that's what it said. He began to teach this over and over again. And finally, I think Peter just kind of had enough. And Peter wanted to step in and, and say, time out, Jesus. We got to fix this. We got to do better here, okay? And so Peter jumped in and, and uh, kind of pulled Jesus aside and said, you know, Jesus, I'm going I'm to get you on the right track. So, so Peter, you know, Jesus, come over here. And Peter, and, and, you know, I don't know. I'm just imagining. But Peter put his hand around Jesus. Jesus, I need to talk to you for a second, okay? I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody else. I, I just want to make sure you know how to take over. Like, if you want to be king, I just want to make sure you got a good, right version of what that looks like to be king. And here's what he said. Took Jesus aside. Said, and he began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord. You're not going to die, Lord. You're going to be, you're going to victorious. You're going to succeed. You're going to win. He said, this shall never happen to you, Jesus. Things are going to go great, Jesus. Things have been going great so far, Jesus. Look at what you've accomplished so far, okay? You know, you're going to go in there, and I'm going to watch. I'll probably be on the sidelines, but I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be your number one fan, Jesus. I'm going to be cheering. Rah, rah, go, Jesus, take over, okay? And then make sure you put me at your right hand or something like that, okay? Jesus, I, I, want, you to, I want you to be victorious, but, but dying is not the way that you're going to get there because dying means we're kind of over, like you lost, Jesus, and I don't want you to lose. But this was Peter's up on the lifeguard post, ready to save the day moment. Peter thought he was jumping in to save the day. But Peter missed the whole point because Peter couldn't see behind, beyond himself. And Jesus told him as much. They're standing there and Jesus turns to Peter. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, or the Satan, or the adversary, the person who is against me. He says, you are against me, Peter. Get behind me. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. But what do you have in mind, Peter? And Jesus is not wrong here. You have human concerns in your mind. That's what you're focus on, focusing on, Peter. Your motive right now is your own concerns, your own survival, your own victory, your own success, your own power, your own influence. That's what you're focused on, Peter. Peter nothing else. 
Jesus goes on. He says to the whole disciples, brings Peter back. He says, you know what? You all know what Peter came over here to tell me because you've probably all been talking about it. So I just want to address this as a whole. Jesus goes over to his disciples and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, you're going to either follow or you're not going to follow. You're either going to say no to you and yes to me, or you're going to say yes to you, and you're going a different direction. You're not following me. For whoever, he goes on, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you want to give up your life to follow me, you will find life as it was meant to be, as it was created to be. But if you're going out there and you're trying to save your life and make sure you're good, you make it as long as you can, and you don't want to sacrifice. I mean, Jesus is really talking about sacrifice. If you don't willing to sacrifice yourself for me, you're just going to lose your life in the end. There's nothing after. It's all just going to blink away one day. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? Think about this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul in the process? If you want to gain the whole world, you're going to have to lose your soul to do it. There is no way you can take over the kingdoms of this world without playing by the kingdom of this world's rules. And in the process, you will have to give up some things that you value, that your mama taught you and told you you should never do. You're going to have to ignore your mama if you want to take over the world. And the more and more of the world that you want, the more and more you're going to have to give yourself away. You're going to forfeit yourself to it. Not in a good way. You're going to have to give up what you value, what you prize. That's not the Jesus way. Jesus says, if you want to win, you've got to follow me. He says, Peter, this is, I'm paraphrasing. He says, Peter, what you're describing is what we call war. You're going to have to go to war, Peter. You're going to have to fight, Peter, to take over the kingdom like you're describing. And what happens at the end of the battle? Maybe we're victorious, but what happens? People are going to hate us, Peter. People are going to be our enemies, Peter. That's not my way, Peter. That's not how I do things. Peter, let me tell you something. Again, I'm making this up. A few centuries from now, they're going to have this thing called the Crusades. And people are going to go to war in my name. And they're going to regret that for the rest of time. It will be a blemish on the name of Jesus. There will be people who will say, even today, they will say, the reason I don't ascribe to Christianity is because of, and they'll use the example of the Crusades. Because Peter, when you go and fight people, and you have to hurt people to get your way, people remember. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to follow that kind of a leader. Some people will, but not everybody. And they will remember it. And they will be hurt by it. People will resist Peter. Because at the core of the Crusades, what was at the core of the Crusades? A bunch of people in power, not denying themselves, trying to save their lives, gaining the whole world, but not trying to give anything up. They weren't trying to lay down their life. They weren't sacrificing. They just wanted more. They were being selfish. And Jesus taught, and Jesus modeled less self. Jesus taught and modeled less self. We call it selflessness. Less 
itself. I get it. Nobody, nobody, wants, nobody wants somebody to come in and, and correct them and give feedback. Nobody wants to be critical of their own actions. Nobody wants to have somebody come in and say, you, you might have done the wrong thing there, okay? Point out where you're wrong, okay? Nobody likes it. But personally, I found that lifeguarding moment very humbling. And I think Peter probably found this moment to be pretty humbling as well. To recognize how easy is it to ignore other people. To just give in to the stereotypes, give in to the world's expectations, and realize that your actions could have consequences on other people. To have to force yourself to analyze a little deeper, even if it makes you uncomfortable. I just personally have chose to follow Jesus because Jesus advocates for less self. And, and I'm trying to get there. And it's a process, and it's hard but it's worth it because Jesus modeled for us that Jesus would give all of him for all of us. Jesus gave all of him for all of us. He didn't just preach it. He didn't just teach it. He lived it. And why not follow someone like that? If you have a choice of who to follow, don't you want us to follow the person who's willing to lay down their own life for you? That's the kind of person that I want to have my back, selfishly. I want to be around selfless people. And I think you do too under it all. We need to be less self and more focused on others. My friends, it is always going to be easier to sit on the couch and look at the TV and complain and yell at other people. It's always going to be easier to avoid problems than be a solution. It's always going to be easier to choose the path of, path of least resistance, the path that doesn't require us to sacrifice, that requires the least of us and gives us the most. It's generally always going to be easier to pick that path. It's always going to be easier to not be honest with ourselves and just, you know, not go to church, to sit in the back and avoid talking to anybody, avoid commitment. I'm not guilt tripping you here. I'm just being honest that it is easier to do that. I'm saying it's easier. It's easier, you know, um, to look at other churches and say, Pastor Taylor, why don't we do what they have, or they do? Why don't we have, you know, this that, like, they have and do all this? It's always easier to do that. But it's hard to be a solution. It's hard to say, how can I help that become a reality? Pastor Taylor, why don't we have that? I don't know why we don't have that, but we could do something about that. God often... In fact, pretty much all the time, is calling us to, to, um, to think beyond ourselves. To think beyond ourselves. To think beyond what's familiar and what benefits us and, and, and what, what gives us the most and think about others. So let's, let's think about challenging ourselves to think beyond ourselves. Let's challenge ourselves to think beyond just ourselves. This is what love requires. This is what Jesus requires. And I think if in lifeguarding training, we would have had a day of training on this, I think there might have been a possibility that I would have approached that situation differently. I think I would have at least slowed down a bit to say, hey, is there a consequence for my glorious vision of saving the day? Just as I think if Peter stepped back and said, Jesus is telling us that he has to go and die and suffer, he may not have missed or would have focused a bit more on the rising again. 
Peter doesn't follow up with that. I mean, if somebody says, I'm going to die and rise again, why would you not follow up on that? What do you got going there, Jesus? What's the plan here? And when Jesus actually died, what did they think about? <gasps> We're in danger. And so they all went and hid because Jesus had died and they all thought it was over. And then Jesus comes back and they're like, oh my gosh, he actually did what he said. Should have listened to him in the first place. Yeah, but you weren't willing to think beyond yourself. So let's challenge ourselves to think beyond ourselves. Let's, as a church, challenge ourselves to think beyond ourselves. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or guilty of your selfish actions. I'm just trying to challenge you to think like Jesus thought. To not, to not keep trying to pursue the whole world because you're never going to get it and you're going to lose yourself trying to. But to be content where you are because you're following Jesus. Because of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And the reality that that really does change life. And it really brings life to the place it's meant to be. If you would, bow your heads, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that we have the reason and the ability to think, to consider, to, to have people in our lives to challenge us to maybe think differently, that we can think differently, that we don't just have to give in to what the world says and what everybody else expects or, or the stereotypes of the world, that we don't have to fight for those likes and follows on Facebook, that we don't have to fight for the um, you know, celebration of others, that we're okay in humility, that we, we think about the consequences of our actions, not just the obvious ones, but the more nuanced ones, the more challenging ones to see, how they affect our kids, how they affect other people that we don't even know. Lord, we have such reach these days. We can reach hundreds of thousands of people if we ch choose through, through social media and online presence. Help us to be wise with that. Lord, we have the ability to borrow and spend like people in, in Peter's and Jesus' day didn't. Lord, help us to do that wisely, selflessly, generously. Help us to think different. Help us to think less of ourselves and more of others. And in so doing, find the life that Jesus taught, that Jesus modeled, modeled that we'd pick up our cross and we'd follow him. That we wouldn't try to gain the whole world. We'd be content with the world that you've given us. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to live this out. In your name I pray. Amen.